Hey, and welcome to another edition of our Media Boat Podcast March Madness Bracket. This year we're talking about video game franchises. It is 2019, and we are talking about video games. And we've had three video game franchises we've talked about. Yes. We've talked about Nintendo, we've talked about Sony, and we've talked about Microsoft. And through all those podcasts, we've talked this last one up as the end-all, be-all, multi-platform. The only problem with that is uh, we tried uh, to come up with multi-platform titles to talk about today, and the list was way too long because we were going to try and do multi-platform and PC franchises. Well, that wasn't going to work out. So what we decided to do, we pulled an audible on you guys. Uh, we're going to do the multi-platform insanity as a special bonus for you guys, a separate contest, uh, and they will not compete directly in this proper bracket. However, we will be doing the PC-centric as part of this bracket, so that will be our fourth uh, part, our last two entries in our proper bracket will be PC exclusives. And what I mean by exclusive, that's an asterisk. I understand that there is no way for PC games to remain on PC for their entire lives, and thus... Almost all of the uh, franchises we're going to talk about today have had editions on console. Instead, what I argued is is that what we're going to talk about are series that had their peak on PC. That when it mattered, it was on a P it was a PC exclusive thing that you had to play on computer. So think of this as Microsoft Part Two. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. I'm kidding. Uh, but yeah, so like that's basically what we're going to look at here. Uh, so hopefully, it'll be a more focused discussion than the multi-platform version of this would have been. Yes, we will still have a multi-platform discussion, Yes, but Bonus. that itself is probably going to be a two-hour separate uh, podcast. Yeah, that'll be an endurance and something we can't do today. So. No. so instead, we're going to do PC as our fourth tier. So yeah, Nintendo, Microsoft, uh, Sony, and PC. So yes. Microsoft and PC, but yes. Yeah, same thing. I know. All right, so... Um, <laughs> Where do we start with PC in the 1970s? Oh God, no! Yeah, we we can't. We don't have time to talk about the personal computer. All you need to know is that these are games that are mouse and keyboard. Like I'm gonna really sit and focus games on my on my computer. This is not a console experience, and so the best PC games are going to be games. And I think this is part of our argument here: games that you can best experience on a computer that really have an advantage about being a computer game. Right, and I think we should start with this distinction mm -hmm. with a zombie game that came out on both the PC and the Xbox. Okay. But in order to make a clarified base here of a distinction, yeah, we're going to talk about PC games, and we're going to talk about the Left 4 Dead series here. This is a weird one to start with, I think, in my opinion. I don't even know if this belongs on this list. Well, no, but this is our example, our fodder, that we're going to basically say... Because this existed on the PC and has a growth on the PC and has a established base on the PC, it does have a console following as well. So, basically, the, the little brief history lesson here is that Left 4 Dead is a, is a, uh, is a Valve-published game. It was um, kind of an offshoot of the Source engine that you had with Half-Life, which we'll talk about. Probably should have talked about first. Um, but yeah, <laughs> so I thought what we were going to do. Well, we're going to bring it up next. Uh, but yeah, it, it is a very much in that, like, controls like the Half-Life games. It's in that universe. It looks like those games. And instead of being a single-player experience, it is a multiplayer experience. And instead of being a competitive shooting game, it is a cooperative shooting game. It is a team-based zombie cooperative game. That, uh, that, yeah, that made waves when it first came out because it was a unique kind of thing. It was kind of like the Horde stuff that we talked about when we talked about Gears of War on the Microsoft podcast, but in a way that was more team-based, more class-based like class -based kind of thing, like more like, and it, it was a way to combine a horror zombie game with a shooter in an inventive new way. Yeah, it's definitely more zombie-filled. I don't know how, how to get around that. It's a zombie, <laughs> zombie game. game. It's a zombie game. It was a game as much about... as it is a shooter game, yeah. 
It's a zombie game. It was a game about like learning like what are the what are the kinds of zombies I'm going to uh, uh, approach. It was a game that was randomized in certain elements. You didn't necessarily know what kind of zombies were going to attack you where. You didn't know like the patterns of of, of exactly how the combat would have, would happen. And so each one was kind of like a randomly generated experience. It wasn't necessarily going to be the same experience every time. And they also did kind of narrative design in those little pockets of gameplay. So it would tell kind of a story, <laughs> sort of. Yes, um, kind of a in story. In the like 15 minutes that you were playing with your friends. And it, that was, again, unique at the time and got a lot of people way into it. Yeah. But like we said, this is also a console game. There were console versions of this. Yeah. Uh, but. And but, that was because at, at the time, like consoles had got good enough at portraying shooting games that Valve decided, yeah, yeah, why not? Why right. not put this out on it? And that's why this is our fodder first. Yeah. Uh, so we can clearly establish the difference yeah. between a PC game and a console game. Yeah, I think it was cool when it came out. I think there was a lot of really cool moments that you had. You had a lot of people talking about different experiences they had with it, uh, different strategies based on those different experiences. I think people liked it because it was. A, a thing to play with your your friends like a get together kind of game where it was like all right oh, this is our game we're going to focus on playing every week a game of left for dead we're gonna get really really good and really like try to ma- master this game um but let's talk to, to the actual valve pc game yeah that kind of established them the half-life series so yeah this is a yeah this is kind of like an intro to like half-life which we actually have to talk about here this is the one that matters because when you talk about you, know, uh, when you talk about uh, shooters on PC, this one comes up a lot because it, it defined for a very, very long time the single-player shooter campaign on PC. This was a story-driven, shooter-based, crowbar-wielding, <laughs> weaving tale. Because when you had when, of when Half-Life Freeman. One came out. Uh, it did a couple of things that shooters hadn't done on PC before. One, it did its narrative completely in-world. And what I mean by that is it told its story by just you interacting with your environment. It was, there were no separate cutscenes. There were no, like, text story parts. It was just, this is a... From beginning to end, seamless story that is told by you interacting with your environment. And whether this means, like, characters talking at you, or sometimes this means... Reading looking, newspapers, yeah, reading well, billboards. Well, not necessarily reading newspapers. There's not no, a whole no, lot of that in Half-Life. No, I mean, like, like reading billboards and stuff. But, like, yeah, th- using clues in your environment to be like, oh, I'm here now. Oh, things are happening in this location. I'm taking this tour at the beginning of the game through mm-hmm. the, the, the Black Mesa... Facility. Uh, facility, and I'm learning about what this company does and why, like what I do, and I, uh, this is the day in the job at first, and then everything goes wrong, and so yeah, it did narrative like a uh, shooter had and game had never done at that point. Mm-hmm. The other half is is that because of this, the pacing was not like a traditional action shooter at the time. Before Half Life, your action shooters were dooms, were quakes, were Wolfenstein's, were running around in linear environments, shooting whatever you saw. Half-Life was a different approach. It was like, why don't we slow down and take the, take, uh, the chance to tell a story and tell a, like, in, evoke a mood in a shooter game instead of just shooting whatever you see. There is a lot of shooting whatever you see in Half-Life, don't get me wrong. But it does so while having a more even pace to it, which right, but was extremely important. And if the second game, Half-Life 2, evolved on that. Yeah, but just getting in shooting around stuff kind of is a basis of a shooter game. Yeah, and it does that. It does that. Especially Half-Life 1. Half-Life 1, you could definitely take tell is still of that kind of Quake era. Mm-hmm. Because it's almost non-stop like, okay, these dudes are coming for me. These weird, weird-ass face crab, head crab creatures are coming towards me. Like, it was very much, like, twitchy in a way that maybe the second game and, and onwards wasn't as much. But by the time you get to the second game, it was revolutionary in the same in the same ways, but also new ways. It was the first major PC release to have, to have an entire physics engine matter. Like, physics was just com- work just coming into video games with Havoc physics. 
And this game was like, no, we're going to design puzzles around the physics engine. So here, put this brick on this teeter-totter and that will solve a puzzle. Uh, use these. Uh, use your gravity gun, a literal gun to design to show off the physics engine, to grab things in your environment and shoot them super fast at your enemies, like buzz saws to like cut down things or cut dudes in half. It was super important and like opened up the um, shooter genre to new kind of uh, exploratory uh, kinds of design that hadn't been seen before. Uh, new narrative styles of design that I hadn't seen before. It was incredibly important. Uh, and then, yeah, they also tried to be, with the next installments, they tried to be innovated by doing an episodic release schedule with episodes one and two. But we all know what happened after two, and we all know that that myth of episodic games over Valve didn't pan out. No, and we also know the myth, the legend, the Sasquatch... <laughs> Yes. That that is Half Life Three. Yep. Now that uh, Kingdom Hearts Three is out, now that Duke of Nukem Forever is out, Half Life Three is the last one. It's the last mystery game that will will it ever be released? Who know? Who can say? Is it ever a thing? <laughs> Apparently, there was a was it uh, a post somewhere about what that Half Life Three was going to be about. Yeah, there's a story out there on the internet if you want to see it, supposedly about what that story would have been, but. That game will probably never be released in, in that form, or maybe in any form. I think that the Half-Life story will just forever be left on that cliffhanger that we left it after Episode 2. But uh, but yeah, I mean, like the, the, the ways that the games innovated kind of did drop off after 2. Uh, by that point, it, every game started being Half-Life-y. I mean, it's the franchise that gave you uh, games like Deus Ex. Mm -hmm. It's the franchise that gave you even games like Bioshock or Dishonored. It's like this this kind of adventure, like hell, Metroid Prime. Like there's there the the adventure game in first person was established by the Half Life franchise. Mm -hmm. While we're on the subject, we should also talk about its other offshoots, which include Team Fortress, right. which was uh, did did a team uh, class based multiplayer shooter. Uh, in a way that hadn't been done before and established how that w worked forever. Counter-Strike, that established esports and competitive gaming in a way that hadn't been seen before. Right. And going off that gravity gun, Portal. Yeah, and Portal. A, a fun Portal. puzzle yeah, game. Talk about Portal here. Yeah. It's like under the Half-Life umbrella, all these games like kind mattered. Of like, spewed it, out of. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, Half-Life is that important yeah. of the game. That's it why was. it's in this discussion but if we have to talk about negatives so well first of all the legacy problem it has a big one we so <laughs> i feel like we're gonna go and talk about half-life 3 but we cannot talk about half-life 3 because it doesn't exist. that does not exist so yeah the, the problem that the series has is it did end on a, a cliffhanger it did end basically and was abandoned by its by its parent company valve now is a service company they are a Merchant, they're no less of a game developer than they've ever been before. Chances of having another game in the Half-Life franchises are slim to none. Um, and so, yeah, you have the like this feeling of this lack of finality, this lack of closure, which I think hurts it as a franchise. Also, those games were parts of their time, and they only hold up in certain ways. They don't hold up as a whole anymore. That first Half-Life, I came to it way later, and it's fine, but I feel like so many modern games like Bioshock have done that in so many more modern ways that it's like it's hard to go back to a game that's just uh, wandering around and shooting a thing while a story kind of happens in the background. It's hard now, and it's like it mattered when it came out. It was important when it came out. Mm -hmm. But, like, now it's a different kind of world. Well, it is a different kind of world, but it established the the, the world of what PC games, what video games can be. Yeah. In establishing world and establishing lore and establishing something beyond just what, you're, what yeah. the game is telling you to do. Also, there are arguments against the very basis of ha what Half-Life is. Yeah. I've seen arguments talking about like how because the narrative design is 100% reliant on you paying attention to that it exists mm -hmm. means that if you don't care, then you can completely ignore the story. Like, there's always that classic example of Half-Life lets you run around when people, when you're in a locked room and people are trying to talk story exposition at you 
to some people, some people argue like that does the narrative a disservice because you're not actually paying attention to it. You're having too much fun with the world. You're like jumping in the dude's face and trying to jump on tables and like not paying attention, which means that the game is not doing a good job of communicating to you or you're making it important enough for you to believe that you need to pay attention. And so, yeah, to a lot of people, like that's a problem with the narrative design where it doesn't actually make you care. Then there's the other half, which is just the pace of the game. A lot of people don't like. A lot of people don't like how, how long it takes to get to the combat. A lot of people don't like how the combat feels. It's not a traditional shooter in a lot of ways because of that crowbar you mentioned. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of times in the game where you do not have a gun and you are reliant on melee controls. Melee controls are notoriously hard to design in first person. There's only a couple of franchises I can think of that does, do them well, and that's like Dishonored. Or like uh, I'm punching up here, not down here. Right, and or the um, or uh, the um, what was the Vin Diesel ones? The um, oh, the dark. Or the, what's the, the the name of that game? Uh, what Vin Diesel? Yeah, the the name of the games that had the Vin Diesel character in them. Uh, oh, Perfect Dark. No, no, no. no. Uh, the movie was pitch black, pitch but the one that Chronicles of Riddick. Okay. Those apparently have really good like uh, melee design, but like other than that, though melee is hard to do in um, in first person, and so yeah, a lot of people and the puzzles too sometimes were very kind of nebulous, mm -hmm. and people didn't like puzzle design in first person games. So yeah, there's definitely some negatives. It definitely hasn't aged well, and it definitely isn't like the first person experience that a lot of people want it, want when they come to a first person shooter. But it is important, incredibly important, and yeah, we did have to talk about it for sure. All right, but there's other games we can need to talk about them too. There's a lot of PC games. Where do you want to go to next? I think we should talk about The Sims. Okay, let's talk about The Sims. EA's <laughs> yes PC game. In order to talk about The Sims, of course, we have to talk about Sim City. Which came first? The Sim franchise is, of course, a simulation franchise. It's based on like, hey, build the city and see what happens. And yeah, Sim, the, the Sim City is where it came from. But I feel like the franchise that had the staying power after all of a sudden done is The Sims. It's mm -hmm. human simulation uh, game. That yes. is, that's the one that actually matters and still matters. And it There's, has its own kind of ecosystem. They're still putting out holiday ports for it and <laughs> updates for oh, it yeah. even now. Like, yeah, the current game, current Sims games. 4, is, current, is still supported. Is yeah. supported annually and like a lot of has a lot of extras that you can buy for it yeah and out of all the games ea has put out for the pc this is the one that they will probably continue to support till the end of time yeah it's it's weird to talk about because it's not as important because it wasn't necessarily like genre shattering when it came out it was no half-life no but it was a way to do a simulation game that hadn't been seen before it was like here like, here's these people that you can control. Here's, like, these living people that you can, like, decide what they eat during the day. You can decide where they go to work. You can decide what relationships they have. Do you want uh, to, the, this a person to, to date their next-door neighbor? Well, drag them over, make them introduce themselves, and see what happens. If just the woohoo button. Woohoo. Yes, indeed. Uh, yeah, and you could buy them furniture, You could like, with the money that they earn. Uh, it was a way to take the simulation aspects of, of SimCity franchise and put them into a more personal uh, way, which I think, and this is the most important thing I think thing that I think The Sims does, that it allows it to be introduced to people who don't traditionally play video games, and that's why this one matters. Mm -hmm. It matters was because super casual. It's not, well, not necessarily that because I think it it has casual elements, but I don't think it's a very casual game when you get deep into it. Well, no. I think what it is though is that it's thematically uh, it, the themes of it are so universal mm -hmm. that it allows for a lot of different demographics to play it. Like this is big with women. This is big with children. This is big with older people. It's big with a lot of traditional um, sections of the market that games don't usually cater to. Well, and that's because it's about people. It's about things that you do in real life. But it's also about fantasy because it's about, like, aspiration. You can basically make your sim live the life that you would want to live. Make them have the job you always wanted. Make them have, uh, have the relationships you always wanted to have. Well, and that's why I said it's a super casual game because while it does have deep um, game mechanics with built within it, 
trying to, like you said, be rich, bang your neighbor, whatever. <laughs> it's also super cash. I mean, that's all I want in life is just be rich and bang my neighbor. I mean, who wouldn't? But, <laughs> but in terms Sorry. of just it being a casual game, like you said, anyone can come to the Sims game and anyone can make it whatever type of game they, they want it to be. And they get something out of it. That's yeah. key here because you can get you can be anyone and get at least something out of the Sims. The only possible issue, though, is that there are people, yeah, there are people, though, that maybe don't get as much out of the sims me included yeah and that's probably the maybe the only negative i can think of which is is it's not just like sim city it's very easy to bounce off of unless you really want to spend some time with it uh i have the same experience with sims games that i do with sim city games which is i'll play them for a little bit i'll get like like i'll spend like maybe an hour be like into the creation aspect of it but then when it's like all right now manage it loses me. Yeah. Because I don't want to necessarily pay attention to every time my sim has to pee. I don't want to necessarily have to pay attention when my sim needs to eat. It's like these little granular micromanaging of the sims is what drives me crazy. And what I understand is as the series went on, those became less and less important and they were able to introduce kind of balance in, uh, in what the sims actually do. So that way it wasn't just a micromanagement game. But they're still, even in 4... Enough of that where I'm just like, I just don't, I don't want to spend time thinking about when my sim has to eat and pee. I'd rather think about the bigger picture stuff, like my sim's jobs and relationships. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, all that stuff is kind of like playing at once, which means that you focus on what you want to focus on. And yeah, that means, like you said, it's a different, you get what you come to, like whatever you get out of it is what you come to. It's, it's not necessarily something that... I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. But, but yeah, it, it's, it, 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 there's something for everybody, but maybe not if you don't want to spend the time and actually work at getting what's good about it. Well, yeah, there's, there, like I said, there's aspects of this game for everyone. Yeah. But you got to want to put the time and effort into making that game. <laughs> yes. I don't know why I said it that way. Yeah, but <laughs> That's a fun way to say it. Yeah. Okay. Alright, and just offshoot real quick because we're talking about Sims and simulation games. Just a quick offshoot on Second Life. We should at least mention it. It's dumb. Uh, I don't think it matters as much as it used to anymore. But no. like, but yeah, it was basically a massively multiplayer version of like a social network, but in the guise of like an MMO. So it was basically like you create a person, you live a life. It's not necessarily like The Sims because there's no micromanagement in the mm-hmm. same way. And you have direct control over your character. But yeah, you're creating an avatar. You're living in this second life online. And it was a way, it was a social hub. And it did matter for a very long time when it meant like when like companies were doing like uh, meetings digitally. Like artists were debut- do having concerts there. It's like there was a period of time where Second Life was your de facto, I want to do a thing on the internet and visualize it in a way I can't normally. Well, it was also a time when the internet was relatively new to everyone <laughs> yeah. as well. Yeah. And... It's like, it doesn't matter now. It's There's other things that do this better. I mean, if we're talking about Second Life, should we also talk about Second uh, PlayStation Home? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> where Sony tried to do their own kind of mini Second Life? I enjoyed PlayStation Home. Yeah, it's all right. But yeah, it was like, it was a thing that doesn't exist anymore. But yeah, yeah. maybe fun to mention real briefly. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of like a community game on the PC, there's probably nothing bigger and more impactful than the next game we're going to talk about. Yeah. World of Warcraft. So yeah, this is a part of a bigger conversation, obviously. If we're talking about World of Warcraft, that means yes. Blizzard has a history of PC games. I mean, they made their... Their, uh, the, their, their name by uh, putting out the Warcraft series and then later Starcraft, they cornered the market on PC strategy games in a way that nobody had before. Mm-hmm. Starcraft, of course, became one of the de facto esports alongside Counter-Strike. Uh, it, like, you can't make a joke about esports without mentioning uh, a Korean Starcraft players. Yep. Uh, but yeah, it became a huge thing and they used that clout to create the not the first multi, massively multiplayer online RPG that was EverQuest yes. uh, or that wasn't even the first but but it was that the was first really... one that mattered like yes. as much and still exists today there are still people that I know personally playing World of Warcraft weekly and that mm-hmm. is insane it came out in 2003 
and it's a sixteen-year-old game. Fifteen years later, here we are. So yeah, it's like it's important because it took things from like EverQuest and other MMOs that had existed but maybe weren't big, and made it streamlined them and made them intuitive enough for people kind of like The Sims of all kinds of backgrounds and game experiences to come in and learn the nuances of, but be deep enough and addictive enough to keep them there. There's there's plenty carrot on the sticks within the game oh, yeah. to make you not just level up your armor, but level up your character, level up your pet, uh, level up the constant just basic level up. And it goes yeah. beyond just leveling up. It goes into exploring the world, exploring the lore, exploring yeah. everything the world has to offer. And it established all the, the basics of what MMOs have to be in the mm-hmm. modern world. Like, after that, a lot of people tried to do an MMO in the World of Warcraft style. And yeah, some of them were successful for a little bit, but none of them had the longevity, because Blizzard really cares about their fans, and they managed to do new stuff with that game every almost every year mm-hmm. and like they do enough expansions routinely enough where yeah like enough stuff is happening to keep it new and fresh and it's more than just general expansions for stuff yeah they put out completely divergent world of warcraft 3 or 4 i think we're on oh i don't even know but like we're so far into the like the game at this point it's been redone like three times yeah i know that they have Classic now, which you can play for free. Yeah, but like but speaking of playing for free, was this one of the like first big MMOs to have a subscription base? I mean, EverQuest did as well, but yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, it definitely was the first one. I think people were w- willing to pay in a way that hadn't seen, been seen before, uh, which we'll probably talk again when we talk about negatives. Yeah, but but also like I think the 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 an interesting thing about this and why this one actually has an advantage over the ones. Uh, other uh, other ones on this list is it has a cultural cachet yeah. that those other games do not. The there was a moment for World of Warcraft, and yes, it's not as big as it used to be, but there was a moment where it was so big that it was in the cultural consciousness, like no other franchise. I mean, you can the one uh, uh, the milestone that you can easily point to is the South, South Park, Park episode. episode. Where that won a freaking Emmy. Mm-hmm. That was a whole episode about World of Warcraft and the people who play it and the dynamics of people who play it mm-hmm. in groups. And yeah, it it, was, it mattered at the time uh, because of how much World of Warcraft had broken through to that be a cultural pop culture thing as opposed to just a video game. It gave us memes before memes were a thing. It really did. Leroy, Leroy Jenkins. Jenkins. Thing. Yeah, everybody knows at least what that is, like, at least recognizes it, if, even if they don't know necessarily what it refers to. And so, yeah, it's like, it, it's a cultural milestone in ways that these other games just, just aren't. I mean, Half-Life's important, but it's no World of Warcraft. Okay, even, I'm going to go straight tangentially off the Leroy Jenkins here, but raids. Yeah, yeah. Getting a huge group of 25 plus people together to accomplish a mission is insane to think about. It is. And yeah, it just be created these like basic building blocks of what multiplayer games would 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 be mm-hmm. uh, forever, and like especially online multiplayer. Right, raids and guilds and yeah, uh, what are these special events? That's what yeah, it's like holiday events. events. Yeah, it's like changed constantly changing things. Um, negatively, though, and we do have to talk about negatives here. Yeah. Uh, the first thing is that there's an incredible barrier of entry when you're talking about a subscription fee. It's the reason why I never tried it, is because as soon as you say, like, not only do you have to buy this game, but you also have to pay monthly for it, you lose a lot of people who are like, I don't necessarily have the ability to spend that much money. It was like $20 a month for a very long time. Um, then the other half of that, though, is that just inherently as an MMO, that's also a barrier, of entry, a barrier of entry for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. There's like just people who just don't have that kind of time to invest. You basically have to have a portion of your social life dedicated to your friends on World of Warcraft in order for it to be a rewarding experience for you. And a lot of people, again, like me, don't necessarily have that ability. No, it's... That, that point of barrier for paying is definitely what stopped me from ever enjoying it. Yeah. For a time, they did put up the... Uh, you could play the free trial for the first 20 levels in the hopes of getting people hooked. And that worked significantly. Yeah. 
Uh, not for me, essentially, but I know a lot of people who tried that and were instantly hooked and wanted to continue exploring and leveling up. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot to talk about just in terms of the game, the aspect, but it does get to eventually get to that point where if you're not talking about the game's uh-huh. lore, like if you weren't like there, it's hard to catch up because the game is continually expanding. Yeah. It just gets so convoluted and... You're trying to catch up because they keep putting out expansion after expansion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like it's hard to keep track of unless you like really dedicate yourself. Um, another thing is is that it's kind of had like a downward slope since about like oh I'd say like the late two thousands, like two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Like after the major expansions, like the Lich King and stuff around that time. Yeah, the Pandemonium. It was just like. It stopped mattering as much as it had, especially when console multiplayer games became as robust as they became. You had the, 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 the fan base being so spread out in different kinds of experiences and different kinds of games that over time, just World of Warcraft didn't matter as much as it had. And so now it's this continuing thing, yeah, but it's never going to be as big as it was in its peak. And yeah. so you do have the question about what's next for, for a MMO from Blizzard. Do they do another one? Do they do a sequel? Or do they completely just abandon the MMO? Maybe it's just not necessary anymore in 2020. Well, the thing that drove people away from that was the shooter franchise. Right. Franchises. Call of Duty. Yeah. Um, Counter-Strikes. Hell, even Blizzard's yeah. own Overwatch. Well, that's why they created Overwatch to come to, I don't say combat that, but to join in the game of the shooter genre. So, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's hard because the game hasn't fundamentally changed that much it's still set up in the similar way than it was but the industry has changed and mm-hmm. as the industry changes it will never be the same world of warcraft that you had everybody's favorite world of warcraft time was the time that they were playing it right. it's kind of like the the mario kart rule the first mario kart you play is your favorite yeah it's like that where it's like in you'll never be able to recapture the magic that you had when you were at peak world of warcraft and yeah it's just going to be a, a a dragon that Blizzard is always chasing. I mean, uh, a forever diminished return? Yeah, it's just never going to be the same as it was when it was the biggest thing going. But yeah, um, so yeah, the legacy thing is a question mark, but overall, um, though, it's important enough in what it did for MMOs that, uh, that yeah, like, it, we, had, we had to talk about it. Mm-hmm. What else do we have to talk about? Uh, well, we briefly mentioned StarCraft too. Yeah, I mean, we kind of could talk about that real briefly, but yeah, like, the, uh, Blizzard's PC dominance? Reputation, reputation and dominance, dominance were based a lot on the Warcraft and StarCraft especially. Uh, StarCraft was a strategy game that did strategy in a way that was accessible in a way that hadn't been done before, and did it in a sci-fi environment, which made it... A, a, uh, like immediately more interesting than your Command and Conquerors or your Civilization. Mm-hmm. It was a way to be like, no, this is a cool sci-fi universe version of the thing that Warcraft was doing with fantasy characters. And yeah, it got an immediate fan base and a lot of people, die, a lot of diehard fans. Yes, it took forever for them to put out StarCraft II, but when they do, that made just as big of an impact and became the new de facto uh, tournament strategy game. Well, yeah, like you said, there's the whole Asian community, South Korea community, yeah, they, that obsesses with StarCraft. Oh, yeah. To this day, you still have StarCraft Two being played. Um, I, mean, I think it was like one of the first major esports tournaments yeah. surrounding uh, StarCraft and StarCraft Two. Right. Before, before you had the Dota explosions mm-hmm. with Dota and League, it was the strategy game that was played for money, for like millions of dollars. So yeah, yeah, it is fair to mention. So since we, we're on the Blizzard stuff, I we said, also talk about Diablo here, right? Uh, I don't think it's as much important. It's definitely got super niche. I think, especially with its name, Diablo. <laughs> that name doesn't really play well um, in super religious countries. No, but but yeah, it is an important game when you come to like the what we now refer to as a loot game. Yeah. At the time, though, it wasn't necessarily. We didn't have a genre for it. It was basically your dungeon crawler, was I think what we used to call these kinds of things. I think so, yeah. But the game was built around a progression of finding more and more powerful loot. 
It was a game where you wanted to show off to your friends, like, hey, look at these really cool things I got, and I can really run this dungeon quickly by destroying all these dudes with this really cool sword or these really cool spells that I have. And it was about, it, it was addictive because it was about the constant evolution and becoming more and more powerful as you continued. And so, yeah, people swear by those first two Diablos, Diablo 2 especially. Mm-hmm. But then even Diablo 3, which is way more recent, right? it was brought that kind of gameplay into a modern, into a modern era. It was the Diablo game that made its way onto consoles. Yes. And it was a huge announcement when that happened. Yeah, it was a big deal. And it doesn't translate too badly to consoles either. A lot of people do enjoy the console versions of those games as well. Uh, but it is very firmly in the PC realm. It is a lot of pointing and clicking. A lot mm. of clicking. Like, it's probably the most clicks per minute. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's like, it, 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 it's it's definitely notable for, yeah, for how how um, how addictive the, just the, the, the loop is, the gameplay loop of those games. So yeah, it's, it's, it's important to mention. Yeah. Uh, uh, so we briefly mentioned a game that we should probably talk about. Okay. Um, League of Legends and Dota. So yeah, I guess we could talk about them well, together. I, I feel like we gotta pick one or the, over the other. Uh, it's tough because so Dota, the name Dota, not the game that we now call Dota, was an offshoot of of World. Or sorry, not World of Warcraft. Warcraft Three. It was a mod for Warcraft Three mm-hmm. that stand, stood for Defense of the Ancients, and it was basically like a dude just be like, hey, what if? Instead of uh, doing this as like a traditional strategy game, what if we took out the base building like stuff about this and just made it about the, the combat? Like, let's right. just have these like lanes and like let's the, like focus on you get to the other side and you destroy the tower and the game's over. And so yeah, and that became such a hardcore like subset of the community of Warcraft players that the major companies got like word of this and we're actually paying attention. It also gave us that uh, that uh, Base Hunter song. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> yep, something, something, Dota. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, arguably I think the cover of that with different lyrics is more famous now. It is. But <laughs> it started as a song about Dota. Yep. Uh, but yeah, um, then later, it wasn't until like this uh, decade, though, that it got to the point where like major companies were like, yeah, no, let's make this a real game. Right, and that's where we got League of Legends coming in. So yeah, League of Legends kind of takes the the Dota start. It has some people, I guess, who worked on the original Dota mod. Basically, came made this uh, company called Riot Games and just like developed this new version. I think around two thousand nine, mm-hmm. call, and called it League of Legends. And yeah, it, it has become one of the biggest games in the in the in the world. As a result, people got really hardcore into it. Like they they developed their own kind of world of characters within it. Champions, they, they're champions. They're champions. Yeah, uh, it, it it's such a specific kind of game that it became this very very hardcore tournament scene, and like yeah, people win millions of dollars playing freaking League of Legends. Right. Well, not just that, but they sell out uh, stadiums. They sell out arenas. Yeah. Football style stadiums. Hundreds of thousands of people yeah. come to see these these. These players, these, this game. Yeah, and then uh, parallel to all of this happening, Valve decided that they were going to make a deal with the dude who was associated with the original Dota, Ice Frog. <laughs> yeah, that's his, that's his name, I don't know. Uh, and decided that they were going to make their own official Dota game and just straight up call it Dota 2. Yeah. <laughs> They're just like, no, this is not Dota, this is Dota 2. This is the definitive, this is Dota. Try to be like, hey, no, League of Legends, you're not the real Dota, we're the real Dota. <laughs> and that became even more hardcore and crazy, and that involves its own set of tournaments and million-dollar competitions in something called the International that happens every year. It's become almost just as big of a deal, even if it doesn't have the name cachet that I think League of Legends does at this point. So yeah, like we're talking about two very parallel phenomenons that have just like taken a very specific kind of gameplay and like made it its own thing right the fact that there's plenty of characters and champions to choose from that it balances itself out even when they do introduce new new additions to the each game 
they're not like, oh, it's new, so it's overpowering everything. Yeah. No, it's all a well-balanced game. And that's something that, unlike we said for Gears of War in the mm-hmm. Microsoft, anyone can jump into this thing and... Well, and, well I might push back on that a little bit. And it has find a their incredibly niche. steep yes. learning curve. Both of them do. Yeah. Uh, also, the important thing, though, is that it doesn't have the barrier for entry because... They're free to play. Mm-hmm. And this allows them to be accessible in the way that World of Warcraft isn't, where you do not have to uh, you do not have to pay to play it. You do however have to play to be decent at pay to be decent at it, because there are a lot of uh, champions that are behind or heroes, if you're heroes. talking about Dota, uh, that are locked behind paywalls. There's mm-hmm. a, there are loot boxes that you have to base chests, I think they call them, right. uh, that you have to get to like unlock special bonuses and weapons and like special abilities. And so yeah, there is some money um, transactions involved, but overall, it doesn't require it to play the base game. So yeah, like it allows it to be a, the big phenomenon that it became, though. To its deterrent, though, in both these games, like I said, this difficulty curve is extremely steep. And so people who don't necessarily like an enormous challenge or time investment won't have a fun time with these games. No, but you still have a fun time watching people play these games. Yeah, the spectator esport aspect uh, of this scene that has happened over both of these games is very interesting. And it gets a lot of people interested in it, for sure. Uh, but yeah, like I think negatively though, like yeah, they're just they're they're hard, and once you're in it, like they're addictive. They're mm-hmm. like they really grab you, and it's kind of that social that social thing I was talking about with World of Warcraft, to a, just like in a smaller version where it's just like you're dedicating a lot of time to practicing and getting good at these very intricate games. Yeah. All right. Uh, is there something else we should talk about? Is there more? Is there well, more? Yes. There's always more. There's always more. Um, I'm going to bring up a game relatively new, but it's had like six sequels already. Oh, jeez. This is the relatively new game, Five Nights at Freddy's. This is a mobile game. It's a PC. This is a mobile game. It's a PC. I'm sorry, this is a mobile game. We're not talking about Five Nights at Freddy's here. All right, fine. We're going to talk about (laughs) the other one then. Okay. Minecraft. Yeah, we do have to talk about Minecraft here. So, Minecraft... Yeah, it's an everything game at this point. It's on your phones, it's on your Switch, it's on your consoles, it's on it's on your PC, it's on your frickin' toaster. You can play Minecraft everywhere. But yes, it did have its start as kind of a scrappy little indie PC, PC game. game by uh, developed by this dude who turns out to be a terrible person. But at the time, we didn't know that. <laughs> anyway, right, We're talking about the game, not the person. Right. Uh, so Minecraft is, yeah, became synonymous with like or at least for a period of time maybe not so much anymore uh but synonymous with that thing that your kid won't stop talking about it's that thing your kid is playing on the pc right it's it's virtual legos it's virtual legos but it's more than that they managed to create a, a, a game that is both a social hub where you can play with your friends and also a creative hub where you can build things using these virtual blocks and also, on top of all that, they also created like a dungeon game where you're exploring environments that were created either by the game or by people who created the things in the game. And so what it became was this world that you can go to uh, that you can kind of create and do anything you want. And that became incredibly appealing, especially to younger audiences. It's not a very violent game. It's not a very like, it's not a very intense game or challenging game. It's a game that is completely based on whatever you want to create in it and whatever your friends create in it. And it works best as a social environment. And I think that's why it's become this generational touchstone for a lot of kids to be like, this is the thing I do when I come home from school. Mm-hmm. It's definitely simplistic enough in its design and its mm-hmm. controls that anyone, especially like young kids, can grasp onto it and understand what it is they need to do, trying to do. And, but there's enough variety and layers that you can literally create anything. I've seen works of art in this thing oh, yeah. that expand thousands of pixels, millions of pixels. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy what you can do with it. And then, yeah, like so Microsoft ended up buying uh, the franchise. They mm-hmm. now own it. But that isn't keeping it from being everywhere. Microsoft has made it a point to make sure that Minecraft is accessible to everyone. And now there's even a version of Minecraft 
that is cross-play across many different kinds of, of devices. So your PC world can be played on the Xbox, which can be played on the Switch version, which can be played on the phone version. They've unified the worlds of Minecraft to the point where now no one, except for PlayStation, is left out. Yes. Uh, they've also created Minecraft stories from this. There's a yes. Telltale's game uh, based off the Minecraft stuff as well. Uh, I believe there's also a TV Minecraft series, or at least there's th hundreds, if not thousands, of YouTube series of Minecraft stories. Yeah, yeah. Not, not just gameplay, not just Let's Plays, but people writing stories around their Minecraft characters. Oh, and professionally, too. There are books. If you go to a bookstore right now mm -hmm. and go to the kids' section, there are Minecraft novels. Yeah. There are Minecraft children's books. There are Minecraft... Like guides, like all these things are exist, like and they like to like flesh out a larger universe inside this game that ostensibly has no universe. Right. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's been fascinating to see it kind of change and evolve. The downside to Minecraft is kind of the same downside as The Sims, which is because of how open ended the worlds are, it is exactly what you put into it. So it's only as intricate as you make it. it mm -hmm. So if you come into it like and you're not just you're not somebody who likes to create then you're reliant on the things that you find inside the existing world, and that's not always going to be something you enjoy. It's not going to necessarily grab you right away. Or it might be so open-ended that you find yourself wandering around and you find yourself being like, well, I don't know what to do here, so I'm done. Like, I'm dropping off of this because I like, literally have no goals. It's not telling me what to do, right. therefore I don't know what to do. So yeah, this which is why it's an interesting, interesting as a generational touchstone, because it is a game in a sense that we're not... That is not a traditional game. It's it's a game that does not necessarily have a linear goal. And yeah, that's appealing to younger people and appealing to people who are maybe not as tied to those traditions as maybe traditional video gamers are. So yeah, it's a unique thing. It's like, it's, it's a weird thing. And yeah, you can say what you want about the creator. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's definitely like... Uh, like nothing, like nothing else in there except for like your like your your imitators, like your Terrarias, or or your Roblox, 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 or you know, whatever yeah. you want to. But Minecraft has entered, I believe, that cultural zeitgeist yes, that Doug World of has. Warcraft entered when it was at its peak. It for sure has. It's it's a modern version of that kind of zeitgeist. Even though, yeah, zeitgeist may have been replaced recently. Yeah, uh, I guess we can talk about that. Now, with the new kid yeah. on the block, uh, the thing your kid is now playing right. and won't stop talking about. Yes. <laughs> uh, it is uh, PUBG. Well, it, was, it <laughs> well. was PUBG for like two weeks. <laughs> yeah. Until that kid's uh, stepbrother came in and basically told him a new one. Yeah. Uh, we're, of course, dancing around two weeks. What? Two weeks. Two weeks? Yes, a fortnight, if you oh. would. <laughs> <laughs> Funny. So, yeah, Fortnite is another weird one that I feel like we need an asterisk on because it's, one, available on everything right now, and two, it never even, it didn't actually launch exclusively on PC. It launched alongside some early access versions on consoles. Right. But when it, it launched, it wasn't a big deal, because it was actually a completely different game. It was a, still free. So yeah, when we talk about Fortnite, we do also talk about PUBG, because yeah. Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, as it is called, um, was a, a game in the Battle Royale genre, which is a relatively new genre that ostensibly PUBG popularized. And it was uh, basically 99 or 100 people get thrown into a battlefield and... There's 99 losers and, and one winner. And there are 99 losers and one winner. So basically if you lose, if you die, you are eliminated and the last one standing wins. If you take too long, a circle of death starts appearing on the uh, the map and starts closing in smaller and smaller and smaller until it gets to the very, very middle and whoever's in there, if there is a survivor, survives. So yeah, it's it's now become its own genre. There are now several companies that got in on this and Epic was one of them with Fortnite. They jumped on the ability to base, uh, the, the opportunity to say, we're going to abandon this more like building creation campaign mode of Fortnite, which was what it originally was. Mm -hmm. And we're going to still offer that, though. We're not going to completely abandon it. We're going to still have this over here if you want it. 
And then, but also introduce a battle royale mode that played like PUBG, but with elements of that original Fortnite still included. So it's a battle royale game, but with building, where you can build walls and stuff like that and in the middle of combat to at least give the combat some nuance. Yeah, you can build walls, you can build structures, you can yeah. run up stuff, build barriers as people are shooting at you. It's an element of creation that has never really been in a shooter game no. before. It, it took a lot of cues from Minecraft in that way. Be like, what are the things that these like generated content things that people are into right now that are doing? How can we incorporate that in a competitive atmosphere? And it does it really well. It's become this cultural touchstone because of it. And it has incorporated a lot of things that were happening parallel, like in PUBG and like in other shooter games, and like brought them into a one-stop shop that's become incredibly popular. Uh, so popular that it's free. But if it's free, how does it make its money? So yeah, it's free to play, but in the same way that the Dota's and League of Legends are. It's incredibly monetized with microtransactions. It's loot box based. It's it's you're buying um, you're buying your skins. You're yeah, you're buying, buying skins. your acts. You're, you're buying, buying dances. Your you're buying dances. You're buying emotes. You're buying a bunch of other little stuff. Right. That at a dollar or two may not seem like much, but adds up. So, what essentially should be a $60 game, <laughs> you end up pouring like $200 worth into it. So, yeah. the Yeah, if we're going to talk about negatives for sure, it's like, because it's based completely on microtransactions, it is kind of a dark hole to fall down. Yep. Um, it's not necessarily the most uh, deep experience, Like, but people who love the um, the people who love the uh, battle royale thing have really glommed on to Fortnite as like an example of how to do that kind of thing well. Right. It's got its own issues, especially trying to be number one because that's essentially the goal. But you're going to have 99 losers and more often than not, you're gonna be one of those ninety nine. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a very it's a very hard. Uh, again, it's that that uh, steep difficulty curve. It's this it, these these kind of like what we we're talking about with Gears of War, even when the Microsoft podcast is is it, the people are so good at this th- these things that you can go in and basically instantly die and never really learn the method to survive, or you can just sit in a bathroom the whole time and win. Uh, no, you cannot because that <laughs> room closes. Oh right. Yes, it's close. Uh, but yeah, like it's it's not for literally everybody, but it has become kind of this this cross generational touchstone in a way that we haven't seen since Minecraft for sure. Mm-hmm. What uh, else? Oh, all right. How many games have that been so so far? All right, so we have Half Life, Minecraft, uh, Sims, World of Warcraft, League of Legends, um, and. Fortnite. And Fortnite. I think that's our six. All right. Unless anything else uh, that we have written down uh, is important enough to talk about. No, but I think we can throw these nominations out there real quick. Yeah, let's toss out some ones that we didn't talk about. All right, RuneScape. Yeah, it's not important enough anymore. Not I mean, anymore. yeah, it was an example of when you had like a lot of RPG experiments going on in the online space. It was that free World of Warcraft knockoff. <laughs> not even knockoff. It was a different thing. It was a Japanese kind of take yeah. on the same idea. Uh, we also have uh, Star Wars, Knights of the Old Republic, and the entire Star Wars legacy. So yeah, there's a lot of PC games here, but there's also so many multi-platform games that we'll revisit Star Wars when we talk about yeah. multiplayer, multi-platform. Uh, there's also Roller Coaster Tycoon and, and it, the entire Tycoon series. We talked about when we talked really briefly about like SimCity and stuff. I think that was kind of talking about the simulation genre. Yeah, and those definitely fall under that umbrella. Well, yeah, the Sims genre is like the penultimate. Is what became of that? Yeah, of all those. And uh, we also have Civilization series. Uh, so this is a strategy game in a more traditional sense than what we talk about when we talk about StarCraft. StarCraft was kind of like the sci-fi, more accessible version. Civilization, however, is the more in-depth, I'm going to spend three hours on this campaign game. Mm-hmm. And But from what I understand, they're really, really good games. And they continue to be good even in its sixth iteration. Right. You have Gandhi. Sending you nukes yeah. if you get too good. <laughs> you don't want that, trust no, me. No, you don't want that. But it definitely created that meme of God, he's going to destroy you. Yeah. Uh, and uh, last one that we have on here, EVE Online, which is yeah. something 
unique that not necessarily it's a whole piece. nother conversation yeah. because it's become it took basically it took the ball left over by second life and ran with it in a way that was insanity it basically took like what if we had the social hub that also had this extensive sci-fi lore behind it which also had its own ecosystem and economy which also had these crazy stories about like people having to like people like raiding like like bases and spaceships and stealing spaceships overnight and like stealing millions of in-game currency and stuff Mm -hmm. the stories around eve online are fascinating there are literal books about the stuff that's gone down in that game because it's that crazy and insane but it's also incredibly niche and incredibly hard to get into Mm -hmm. so there is that right so i think what we have with our six yeah are good okay we got to narrow it down to two. Oh, the hard part. Yeah, this is going to be difficult. All right, I think because Fortnite is so new, and not. it's not necessarily a franchise per se. Not yet, no. So what Fortnite does is that they have seasons, right? Instead of like iterations new of games. the game, it will be a game forever, right? Uh, or as long game. as it will until the new kid comes around, right? It won't be multiple games, right? Uh, but that does bring it to a different aspect of here's the one game, not necessarily multiple <sighs> yeah. versions of it. But it does it doesn't hang. Well, no, I'm no. just giving it yeah. kudos for right. now. Mm, I could go for a kudos. Oh, some kudos are good. Yeah, chocolate covered granola bar. But we're talking about a chocolate covered game. <laughs> <laughs> we are we're talking chocolate covered games. I'm in. All right. Uh, so yeah, let's eliminate Fortnite then. What else can we safely get rid of? I think we could probably safely get rid of The Sims. It's very important. Yeah. But I don't think it's for everybody. And also, I don't think it Well, beats. it's funny you say that's not for everybody, because it literally is for everybody. But yeah, you know what I mean. Like, it's, 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 I don't know if it hangs. Well, okay, so in terms of a franchise, it definitely has the establishment of a franchise. Yeah. In terms of a cultural significance, I think that's where it kind of starts to wane off. Right. Uh, People know of The Sims. People are usually introduced to The Sims at one point or another. But it definitely serves as like a video game simulation introductory that would most likely gravitate people off of it to other Mm -hmm. games or other niches. Or it's not necessarily there to maintain your certain gameplay style the more you get it's, into it yeah it's it's it doesn't hang because just how how crazy this list is <laughs> well yeah especially if we're gonna put it up against these other four or five games where we have left here. yeah yeah it's definitely one that's on the weaker side i would say so uh so hmm. all right so here leave us with uh that leaves us with a couple here one i'm gonna be I'm going to say it's going to go on the uh, short end, but you can fight me here for it. Okay. The Half-Life series. Uh, mm. So, there would have been a time where this would have been a sure like a sure bet. Yes. But I don't know if that time is now. In 2019, we haven't had a game in over 10 years, I yeah, would say. Yeah, it's a series that is dead. But yeah. we can safely say there will not be another Half-Life game. And because of that, I believe we can safely say this game, like the Sony games, encased in amber, a game of product of of its time. 100%. And that's why it maybe doesn't make it, but that depends on what we think about the others, I think. It might maybe squeak by? It it could squeak by because it is... (laughs) Yes, squeak by. by. Because it is a culturally relevant game. It established a lot in terms of... Not just first-person games, but in terms of just game-making in in itself. In terms of creating all that lore and aspect in games. It was one of the first to do it, and one of the first to still have a base for however long it it wants to. Cling on to the hope that there will be a third. Right, which is never going to happen. So, what is definitely on this list? I think of everything we have on here, the <laughs> one thing I want to put definitely is World of Warcraft. That's my thought process, too. I think this has to be on this list. It was so culturally important and so long-lasting that I think it and it, it, it changed the way we think about 
online games. Mm-hmm. And I think it has to be on this list, even if it's not as important as it used to be. Right. I think, well, then that gets into the aspect of, does it go, is it waning on par with that of Half-Life, where it hasn't been culturally relevant in a long time? The difference is, is that people still actively care about playing the game World of Warcraft. People do not actively care about playing in the Half-Life games anymore. Right. But there That's is a supposedly a Half-Life movie. In yeah, the never going to happen. Well, I mean, if we're going to go with that route, we did have a World of Warcraft yeah, We had a Warcraft movie, movie, and people actually thought it was okay, so it's like, that's already better. It did well overseas. Yeah, it did well overseas, so there yeah. you go. Uh, but yeah, uh, we need uh, one more, though, and this is hard. Right. So... Is it one of the... Is it League, or is it Minecraft? Uh, Fire if I think that's where I'm split yeah, between two. Yeah, that's where I'm split. So, so, because both became these so, juggernauts. Starcraft that we can safely eliminate. Yeah, I feel like it's hard because after Starcraft two, like it was a success, but like now it's just I don't know what Blizzard's gonna do with it. Like we don't know whether the plan is is ultimately someday to make an MMO out of the Starcraft universe, which is something people have been talking about for literally seventeen years. So yeah, I just don't know like if that's ever gonna happen. I don't know if Starcraft's gonna matter again. So it's hard for this to be on that on that to be on this list, especially when you have its esports throne being taken by something like League of Legends. Right, and because esports is gotten to the billion dollar industry that it is, yeah. we I feel like League of Legends is definitely up there. It might it might be more important than Minecraft, even though Minecraft in a cultural sense. In cultural sense, was a bigger deal. Like, right. if you ask somebody, uh, uh, some, the average person in a Walmart, whether they know what Minecraft or League of Legends is, they're going to say yes to Minecraft, no to League. Right. Uh, but that brings me into the... Essentially, has Minecraft reached the Pokemon level of cultural zeitgeist, where you could say Minecraft... Maybe. And you know what people are talking about. Like you said, I yeah. know person at the Walmart. Do you know what Minecraft yeah. is? Can you recognize a Minecraft tool, whether it be an axe or a sword? Or it does a have a very unique or a book. graphical style, so I'm almost going to say yes there. I think that people, like the apparent especially now, would be able to see like the, the weird pixely, blocky-looking pickaxe and be like, oh, that's from Minecraft. Right. Because it's very obviously from Minecraft. Right, where if you show someone from... A League of Legends, League of Legends character, character, no one's going to know what that like, is. I don't know, it looks like a video game character, generic as base. It's really hard for me to choose because me especially to choose because I have no interest in either of these games. I know you don't. And so it's really hard for me to like to, to pick a horse here. I think both are interesting, yeah, for their respective ways. League for just being like such an institution now in esports and ha- having so much money around it. And uh, Minecraft for being this thing that is merchandised all hell and every kid knows it and Hmm. And that's where you get into these two dichotomy aspects of video game, yeah. of video games. They became very for for two things that are like very PC, which they are very both very both PC. There are two ends of the PC spectrum. There are literally something that everybody can pick up and play, and there's something that are only for the most hardcore, and that's where we're at. But they're also both aspects of that game could go for either of those aspects as well. Yeah. So, I want to throw something at you. I'm going to see how you react to this. <laughs> we put both of them through and, oh, and remove World, 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 World of Warcraft. I mean, there's an argument for that for sure, is that WoW just doesn't have the cachet it did. Right. I mean, if we did this five years ago, sure, we'd probably put World of Warcraft and Minecraft in. And yeah, Minecraft wouldn't exist if World of Warcraft hadn't happened. Right. I mean, literally, it's name. <laughs> well, that too, but, but mostly because of how online social spaces evolved. Right. But I think League of Legends, through and through... Yeah, it's your competitive, it's, it's it's your competitive, competitive version of that. Yeah. Uh, and when you talk about games, especially video games and gamers, League of Legends, I think, would edge Minecraft in terms of a competitive gamer base. Yeah. But in terms of a franchise, if we're going to base it off a franchise... Yeah, that's the thing. Minecraft is not necessarily a franchise. It is a game. Right. League of Legends, also not really a franchise. It's a game. Right. They are single (laughs) games, but have grown and spawned out of it to its own thing. Uh, Whereas World of Warcraft has had sequels. Yeah, it's a thing. Whereas... uh, Half-Life has had sequels, where yeah. StarCraft has had sequels, The Sims have had sequels. 
a bulk of these games that we've talked about have had sequels and are established franchises as we're talking about here. What about World of Warcraft and Elite? That's that's kind of what my brain is doing right now. That's where I'm leaning to. Because like the more I think about Minecraft is that it's not going to hang for the, the whole bracket because it's going to be decimated. Well, I well that's or at the least thing there's that... more, I think there's better arguments against the other games we've talked about for this bracket for League and World of Warcraft than there are for Minecraft. Well, I think Minecraft I've... has the cultural cachet, but that's not going to matter when it comes to gameplay. Well, that's the thing about League though is that while it has the cultural cachet within gamers. Outside of being that, yeah. it kind of falls away. It doesn't have that aspect that Minecraft has, where, like you said, you can go to a bookstore and see novels on it. That's right. a franchise global. All right, aspect. fine. Do you want to just throw out both of them and then bring back The Sims? Have this World Warcraft, Warcraft and The Sims? I feel like we did that last year. <laughs> we were like, we can't make up our yeah. mind. Like that could be it. That could be a compelling version because that's a game that has the gameplay argument and the cultural argument, just not as strong. But like, yeah, it's like because I think if you're if you're really stuck on those two failing in those ways, then The Sims solves that problem. Well, because The Sims is a franchise, it has multiple versions yeah. of its own franchise. Yeah. It is a constant game that gets updated. Yeah, it has a future and a legacy right whereas world of warcraft maybe has more of a legacy than a future but still has somewhat what of a future and then they're still updating it they're still putting out patches all right what is that i think we're good <laughs> <laughs> i think we're good with that I don't sorry know league I'm... sorry minecraft uh i mean yeah i think it's fair i mean if, in terms of like having an actual chance in this thing it might have a better chance it might have a better chance it is more of a franchise we're going to talk about franchises here i think that's what we established when we step when we're doing this and it's and the game design of it is a little bit more classical than it than than the other two so yeah all right i say we call it okay that's I, uh i think that's world of warcraft and sims somehow sims back from the back dead, from the dead. I, I, which is weird to say because that's basic characteristic of the Sims. Yeah, you can like, bring like, it back. It's n- the Sims is never going away. It's never going away. I mean, it's uh, wow. I mean, yeah, Sims Four. We're yeah. It's just never going away. Even, even like even when you want to go and do other games, it's still there <laughs> for when you want to come back to it. All right. Well, you know what that means. I guess that's, <laughs> that means we have a full bracket, <laughs> which means that. We have two more podcasts to get through here. So our first, uh, like we said, we'll do a bonus podcast about the multi-platform games that will compete amongst themselves. I don't know how we're going to do that. But before we get to that one, yes, we're going to have our Bracket Royale Finals yes. uh, Elite Eight, I guess. Yes, the Elite Eight, the 2v2v2v2 match, uh, which will, yes, be uh, Nintendo's uh, entries, which are Mario and Pokemon. We'll have Sony's entries, which are uh, God of War and Ratchet & Clank. We will have Microsoft's entries, which are Halo and Gears of War. And we'll have the PC entries, which are now World of Warcraft and The Sims. I was going to see if you were going to change any of the buff right there in the no. last minute, but no. no. <laughs> that's what we got. All right, that's what we got. That's a tough battle. I think those are all strong. Those are all well-established cultural zeitgeist video games. Yeah. They're really, really, really strong. So yeah, uh, this has been uh, the PC edition of the uh, 2019 Media Boat Podcast Mark Madness Bracket. Uh, video game franchises. We'll be back for our uh, our final eight bracket. And then, yeah, yes. then we'll give you that multi-platform extravaganza. So check the both of those out coming soon, next week, if you're listening to this as it comes up. Yep. Or if you're listening to all these in a row, right now. Yep. Uh, next Sunday, we're going to have it up. Yep. And... Wow, we wow, we have to talk about we have to eliminate these things. We're gonna oh, have to eliminate gosh. these. It's gonna be hard. Oh, uh, it's gonna be hard. We'll have to seed them in ways that will make sense. Yeah, we're gonna have to some cross platform yeah. generations yeah, here. We'll have to class cross platform battles. All right. All right. We'll see you guys for that next time. Yep. Or if you want to catch up on all the contenders entering the final. Uh, Elite Eight here. Uh, You can catch up on those right now. All right. Have fun. See you next time. Bye.